And here's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But you understand the real hermeneutical implications of this is not a mourning of a death. It's the mourning over your own sin. That there's just a mourning, a, a dire wretchedness and being miserable that I can't coexist with the Holy Spirit inside of me, the Holy God, and there we have this sin. Those two don't go hand in hand. They repel one another. Light hates darkness. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Lord, we just come before you, and God, we simply worship you. We fall at your feet today and we just extol your glory. We lift up your name. We praise you. We worship you. We magnify you, God. Father, we pray that whatever our struggles might be in this room today, that we would know that you're greater We know that whatever sin we've committed, that when it's repented of and confessed, that that your grace is deeper still. And so God, will you do something today in this room? Don't allow us to be casual in our faith. Don't allow us to be apathetic and indifferent. But God, I pray today we would be on mission for the mission that you'd stir and you would ignite something within us. Do something fresh today, God. Holy Spirit, as you move in our hearts, as we even confess our sin right now and get right with you, Father, we pray there would be nothing blocking our vertical communion to you. So as we empty ourselves of self, God, will you move me out of the way? God, we want to hear from you and you alone. And so give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. That we might truly begin to become more like the King of glory himself. King Jesus. So Father, we ask You to do the work and do it now. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Take your Bible and turn to James, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we are in verses 8b through 10 today. So I pray you have a Bible and some notes there in front of you. As we dive into the Word, as we mine the Scriptures, because we want to become more like Jesus, amen? Uh, We want to be people that are warriors for the cross of Jesus Christ, that even if none go with us, we still want to follow the King. And part of that is a process which I call broken desperation. 
it's going to be really difficult to live for Jesus if you truly don't know Jesus. It's going to be very difficult to live for Jesus if you've never truly given your life to Jesus. It's going to be really difficult to live for Jesus if you're not broken, if you're not desperate. If Jesus today is just a good luck charm, if He's just your friend with benefits, uh, this is going to be tough sledding. But when you give everything to Jesus, He makes all things new. The Word today says this in James chapter 4, starting in verse 8, part B. James writes to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Doesn't sound overly encouraging, does it? It gets worse. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Here's the kicker. Humble yourselves. That's always fun. Before who? The Lord. And what will He do? And He will exalt you. Of course, context is always king. So look at verse 7 of James 4. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, We talked about this last week. This is the, the SRD battle plan. If you want victory in your life, it's pretty simple. You submit to God, you resist the devil, and you draw near to God. And we have a promise, not from the pastor, but from God's holy word, that God's going to do a work that only he can do. And yet submitting, that's always easy and fun, isn't it, church? I mean, who likes to submit to anybody? Right? You don't tell me what to do. Uh, you don't cut me off on the road. I'll rip off my bumper sticker that says, go to Enon, and I'll run you off the road as well, amen? There's just something in us, isn't there? There's just something in us, every one of us, myself at the top of the list, there is just something in us that fights and it wars, and, and, and we don't want to be under anyone's control, anyone's submission, and yet that's the whole point of the gospel, Like the whole point of the gospel is we go, Jesus, man, it's you. Like it's you, Jesus. Like I see you for who you are. And all I want is you and your glory and your fame. And and I want to get rid of myself. I want to die daily to self. And I just want to surrender to you all for the praise of your glory. That's the whole point of the gospel. And so James, is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is, he's given us ten things to do here. And here we are in the remaining of those ten today in verse 8b. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he says this, and as he's keeping the context of his audience very much in tune here, very much in sync 
and in this view here that he's writing again to a Jewish culture. And so he's going to pull from that culture from the Old Testament. He says, look, I got to make this point as the Holy Spirit gives me the words. And I want to make something driven so deep within the wellspring of their soul that they will never forget this. And so out of the chute, out of the gate, he says, you need to do this. You need to cleanse your hands. I was thinking about that in the first service, and I kind of chuckled because that's kind of uh, apropos to our COVID days, isn't it? Cleansing your hands. didn't dawn on to me until I stood up here in the first service and actually said that. I think the Word even says something like, give us clean hands and give us a pure L heart. Doesn't it say that, I think? Oh, sorry, that's the message translation. Wrong one. Some of you got that. Purell's a brand of cleaning product. What was he getting at, cleanse your hands? Why on earth would he say cleanse your hands? Something external that we do, because we talk about that here at this church, and you know my passion is revival, awakening, reformation in the American church. We can do all the external things all day long, and the reality is, if the heart has never been radically gripped by the cross and the empty tomb, we can do a lot of external things and still end up in a godless hell. Like, it's real possible for that to happen. So why would he say, cleanse your hands? Well, think about the Old Testament. What did the priests do before they drew near to God in the temple? Well, they lathered up, so to speak, didn't they? They cleansed their hands. It was a sign as they're drawing near. And so he's pulling from that. He's saying, you got to cleanse. Literally what he means here, he's saying to be free from defilement of sin, of wickedness. That you come into God's presence. And this is the challenge all across America today in churches is it's so easy just to saunter into his presence, isn't it? We just kind of, we saunter in, don't we? Hey, sup God, right? Sup, what's going on? Good to see you. Glad you're my buddy, my friend. No, we need to get to the point where we put God where He belongs, and that's in utter preeminence. Just glory, just splendor, awestruck wonder. Cleanse. Cleanse what? Your hands. It does represent the external behavior. You guys know this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? It speaks. Out of what's in my heart, we act, we behave. So there is external behavior. So he first addresses this cleansing of the hands, this signifying the the purifying of the external. But now he begins to take the scalpel and he begins to cut deeply. Because if you don't get to the heart of the matter, you don't get to the heart. And if you don't get to the heart, you don't get to the root. And if you don't get to the root, you'll never be free from the bondage you're in. Put band-aids and band-aids all over the external. And the infection is still there. It's still disease. It's still killing, destroying. And James says, look, believers, he's talking to believers here. He's saying, you, yes, you, the world behaves as the world behaves. Sinners behave like sinners behave. He's saying believers, we're talking today to believers saying, it's high time that we get our act together. 
Because judgment begins at the house of God. Cleanse. Purify. Means to sanctify. To make holy. Purify what? Our hearts. Think about this. There was a a real spiritual adultery that went on in the Old Testament with the kids of Israel. Amen? I mean, they struggled, you know, 40 years in a confined area, just bumping around with one another. All you got to do is obey, and this thing's going to go real smoothly. But there's this constant tug of war between the flesh and pride and my way and what I want to do, and I'm still in control. That's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament, and it hasn't changed today. I grapple with it. You grapple with it. Every person today is in a war with the me monster. Me planet, me universe. I got to get, I got to get. And there's so many psychological ramifications behind the scene that go into that, but it always, the root always is pride. It's always pride. Always. There's, there's a hunger in all of us to be in control. We just got to have it. And the whole essence of the gospel, again, is that we are no longer in control. Because a life that hungers to be in control typically represents a life that's totally out of control. When you're just scrambling, trying to get control of everything, in my experience, as you begin to dig deep into that life, that life is typically totally off the rails, out of control. Key number one, I want you to write this down. Key number one in your notes. In the quest to be like Jesus, we must cleanse and purify our hearts and minds. Don't miss that. Let me say that again. Key number one, write it down. In the quest, in the journey to be like Jesus, we must cleanse and purify our hearts and minds. You say, why do you say hearts and minds? Well, go back up to the text there, 8b, James 4. Here's what he says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Good. You double-minded. So again, in case you're wondering, if someone calls you a sinner and then looks at you and says you're double-minded, they're not cheering for you. Like, this is not, hey, you know, go you. These are not compliments. When someone is double-minded, here's what it means in the original language, literally, that you have a divided interest. You can't make up your mind between one or the other. You are torn between the two. And Jesus says this, that you are either for me or you're against me. You can't ride the fence because Satan owns the fence. And James is saying, look, he's saying, believers, if you're going to walk in these sinful patterns of behavior, there's going to be great dire consequences. There are always consequences to rebelling against God, always, always. Now, God is being gracious to us in his judgment And that's done, I think, a a double whammy on us in our American culture. Because we go, hey, I haven't been struck by a lightning bolt yet. God must be okay with this. I can assure you this. He's never okay with my sin and your sin. Never. He executed His only Son on a cruel Roman cross that we might be free from sin. He's just not going to give us a pass and go, hey, you know what? It's really not that bad. No, it is that bad. That's what James is saying. Two believers, cleanse your hands, sanctify your hearts. 
You double-minded. You that are torn between God and self, God and the world, you're being pulled between the two. And for you that are a true believer here in the room today, you know the difference. Because you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. When I sin, I don't have to sit there and go, you know, was that sinful? No, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I'm a new creation in Christ. And when I sin, I know I'm sinning. I know I'm doing what's wrong. And I often rebel against that. I got to cleanse, I got to purify because I'm being double minded. You know, the reality is, as you draw near to God, it's going to be utterly impossible. Think about this. As you draw near to God, as I draw near to God, it's going to be utterly impossible, utterly impossible, think about this, to not be cut to the heart over our sin. Like if right now, if you're dealing with an area of personal indwelling sin in your life, and right now it's coming to your mind, and you know what it is, I know what mine is, maybe you got a list, And right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's all up in your business, and He's going, you got to deal with this, because if you continue to manage this, it's going to continue to manage you. And so right now, as you're thinking about that, it's going to be impossible to truly draw near to Him and hang on to your sin in a way that's being non-repentant. God doesn't look at that and go, yeah, just go for it. We see that in our culture. But we see people right now inside churches all over our country who are blatantly living against God's Word, and they go, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Really? That's utter delusion. You can't live in sin habitually and go, yeah, I got redeemed. That's not how this works. One man said it like this. The repentant heart, think about this, the repentant heart renounces any attempt to justify sin. Isn't that good? A truly repentant heart says, I'm not going to make any more excuses. I've been blaming everyone else for my predicament, and it's high time, I look in the mirror, the man, the woman, the student, the child in the mirror, I'm going to look at that person in the mirror, I'm going to own this, I'm going to deal with it, I'm going to kill it, or as John Owen said, be killing sin or be killing you. This picture, church, and this verse is, just picture this, it's a portrait of genuine repentance. There's a cleansing, a purifying. And it's so simple that what we feed our minds with is what we will act on and what we will become. I mean, there's just no other way to get around this. Whatever I'm feeding my mind with is what I will begin to act upon and what I will become. It's what I will become. I was sharing in the earlier service that the other week we took off and my son got married and it was just a great weekend. And so we went to another church. By the way, I would encourage that. Just because you go on vacation doesn't mean you go on vacation from God. 
I mean, we'll make every excuse to get out of church, won't we? Well, no, we went to church. That's what you do, right? I mean, you, you go and you worship. Whether you're in Chester or in Africa, you go to church. And so I'm sitting there, and it's in a building about the size of the old sanctuary there. And so I'm on the front row, but I'm over in the corner. So I'm leaning against the wall. So it's just one aisle. And I'm not making this up. I'm probably the oldest dude in the building. I mean, it's like a college church. There's just a bunch of 18-year-olds in here. Of course, the energy, you know, everyone's excited. I'm just, it's kind of cool, you know. I'm just sitting here just enjoying this. And so they sing, and it was awesome. And then the pastor gets up. And all of a sudden, I hear all this shuffling of paper, and I thought, that's kind of odd. And I'm just kind of sitting, remember, I got my back against the wall, so I'm kind of leaned here. And I just happened to glance over my shoulder and literally everyone, and again, we're talking 1822 was the, was the median age and income, if you know what I mean. And sure enough, there they are, and everyone's flipping pages in a Bible. Remember those things called Bibles? You know, they got pages, you flip them over, you know. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I heard more rustling of paper. I thought, this is getting weird. So I turned around again. They're all getting out their notebooks. I mean, these are 18-year-olds who the pastor, and I told him after the service, I said, you're my new hero, because for the next hour solid, I mean, it was an hour long, he just emptied the Gatling gun of the gospel. And I, about every 15 minutes, I'm loving this, I'm saying, this is my guy here. And so I just kind of, I'd look over about every 15 minutes, not one person was sleeping. I mean, these are 18-year-olds, and we're talking, right, I mean, what do you do as an 18-year-old? Do you listen to our sermons as 18-year-olds? Everyone's, di- I mean, they're dialed in. I mean, they're taking notes and Holy Spirit speak. I'm like, this is amazing. No one's complaining. No one's saying, what time is lunch? No snide remarks or comments. It's just, I mean, they're soaking it. And here's the deal. That church is thriving. Why? Because they're submitting to the Word. That's it. Just submit to it. Get under it. Man, if we can spend three hours at a ball game... You know, three hours at a concert, whole weeks at the beach, we can certainly submit to the Word, right? I mean, it is just that easy, but there's this rebellious nature in us, right? Man, we don't want this. Don't tell me what to do. No, we've got to cleanse and purify. We've got to be under the Word. That's why Joel 2.13, Joel 2.13, supporting verse under key number one, This is what the Word of God says. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Interesting. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, and He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents over disaster. Man, we love to back into that verse, don't we? Boy, He's slow to anger. He's gracious. He's merciful. Amen, 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 right? Amen? But we forget the first part of the verse right there. And rend your hearts and not your garments. What is He saying there? What does that mean to rend? It means to tear, to rip. In the Old Testament, going back to that culture, what would they do when they were grieving over their sin? Well, they often would just begin to rip their clothes. That'd be kind of wild if we started doing that one Sunday, wouldn't it? That'd be interesting. The word is this, though. Don't just externally grieve over your sin. Rip your heart wide open. I mean, rip your heart open. 
Just be open to the Lord even right now saying, God, I know you're trying to speak to my heart and, and I know I'm resisting and, and I don't want it and, and I want to rebel against it perhaps, but, but just say, God, just do the work and begin to open up to the Lord and say, God, God, don't just give me a bypass. Give me a heart transplant. Watch what God does in your life. All for the praise of His glory. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. So verse 9 of James 4, James really rips the scab off here, doesn't he? (laughs) Here's what he says in verse 9. So he goes deeper. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Okay? Let your laughter be turned to mourning, not mourning as in a.m., and your joy to gloom. So context is king. So here it is, 8b, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, you with divided interests. Okay, you're not getting this. Let me go deeper. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is he saying? I thought Jesus wanted us to be happy. I thought your best life is now. Isn't every day a Friday? I mean, isn't that why you're created to achieve the American dream, right? That's why we're here. It's the American dream. Now, here's the problem. When we pursue the American dream and you get to the end of the American dream that you're chasing, you're going to realize it's the, literally the ultimate nightmare. Because when you pursue self, when I pursue self, selfishness is the miserable life. Jesus says here in His Word that you're either for me or against me. And through that thought, you see here to be wretched, to be mournful, to be weeping, to be wretched. Here it is, to simply to be broken and miserable over your sin. When is the last time you and I were literally miserable over our sin? I mean miserable. Like when you sin, when I sin, is it just a hey, it's not a big deal? Or are we cut to the heart? Is the Holy Spirit working on us with His surgical scalpel like only He can do? And is there a being miserable to the point of now taking action? So often we hear this message of grace, and there is grace. But what I hear and see so often is a cheap grace. A sanitized Jesus. And when you study the crucifixion, there was nothing sanitized about our Jesus. He was whipped and scourged and beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured. He was executed. I mean, executed on a cruel Roman cross that you and I might be free. And and, and there's nothing palatable about this picture. He died the most 
inhumane death you could die. And then we have the gall to say our sin's just not a big deal. Rend your heart. Genuine repentance. Be wretched, miserable, mourn, grieve. It's the inner response to the brokenness. That there's going to be an inner response. Has anyone in the room ever been disappointed before in your life besides me? A couple of us. Okay, all right. Man, when you're disappointed, what happens? Well, you get a little frustrated, don't you? I mean, when you're disappointed, when you haven't obtained something you wanted or didn't get the promotion or whatever, fill in the blank, there's typically a disappointment there. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in my faith to the degree where, man, when I sin, I want there to be just utter brokenness. Not a misery that parks there, but a misery that is so profound, that is so deep, that is so probing, that in the midst of the misery over my sin, I now go to the next step, which is total repentance. It's just too easy to live this life and have Jesus be our fuzzy dice around the mirror our spiritual vending machine. And when A6, that glorious pack of Oreos gets hung up after you put your money in the machine, what do you do next? Well, you tip the machine over and you start beating on it, don't you? And it's easy to do the same with Jesus. No, there's no one who takes and needs to take responsibility for my sin other than me. I need to mourn and weep. And that weeping and that wretchedness are so key because you think about that weeping, it really is the outward expression of the inward sorrow. I mean, have you ever, I want you to think about this church for a moment. Have you ever wept, ever, ever? Have you ever wept over your sin? I mean, just think about this for a moment. Have you ever wept? Like, I'm talking physically. Like, you see it for what it is. It's been revealed. There's no way you or I can blame anyone else. We're looking in the mirror going, that's you. That's me. And you begin to see the gravity and the hurt and the pain that you've inflicted on others. And you begin to weep. Most of all, you see the hurt and the pain you've inflicted on God. <laughs> that it was my sin that nailed him to the cross. It was my sin that held him there, as the psalm says. I mean, what would happen in your home, in your business, your ball team, your church, if you and I began to take our sin seriously? We'd never be the same again, would we? And right here, the command from Scripture, by the way, these are not 10 suggestions. These are 10 commands. Hmm. Wretched, mourning, weeping. Let your laughter be what? Be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Is God through his word saying you can never watch another Tim Hawkins video? Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's getting at here. He created laughter. The joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah says. That's a good thing here. And that's why you've got to understand Scripture. Now, if we don't understand it, if you're not here every week, if you're not under the Word of God, here's what you're doing. You are just setting yourself up for more spiritual failure. That's all you're doing. I don't feel like going or whatever and this excuse and that. And Okay, I'm not going to chase you around town trying to find you. But I will tell you, bridge is out. Like the bridge is out. Like you keep driving over that bridge, and at some point, a crisis is going to hit in your life. And there's going to be dangerous consequences because, as we're going to learn here at the end of this message, we are all leaving, whether we like it or not, we are all leaving a spiritual inheritance. Every one of us. Every one of us. What's the laughter he's talking about? Well, it's a sarcastic, flippant view of our sin. It's really not that big a deal. Don't rob banks, preacher. Don't murder anyone. Not sleeping around. What's wrong with a little bitterness? A little unforgiveness? A little undermining in my employment? Maybe passive aggressive and just undermine. What's a big deal? We as believers should be the best employees there are. The hardest workers, always on time, staying late. We should be the ones that are leading in this. What do we do? We just kind of blend in with the crowd. Oh, I pray in my life and your life that the sarcastic laughter of flippancy with our sin will be no more. That's why key number two is so important. Write it down. Key number two. In the quest to be more like Jesus. So again, in this journey to be more like Jesus. We must rend our hearts and not our garments. So again, under that note, you'll see there on your notes, to make this real simple, it's internal change, not just external change. And that's where we got to deprogram from this American view of Christianity. Raise the hand, said the prayer, do the cartwheel, sign the card. All good things in and of themselves got dunked, got wet. But has your heart been changed? I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. And yet we bought it hook, line, and sinker. I got saved. Really? Tell me what happened. Nothing. Okay? You didn't get saved. You did a bunch of external things. Have you given your life to Christ? No. Okay. Go back and check your salvation. You say, that sounds harsh. That sounds mean. No, that's the most loving thing you can tell someone. Harsh and mean is letting someone else go to a godless hell when you know they've never given their life to Christ. That's harsh and mean. That's why key number two is so important. In the quest to be like Jesus, we must rend our hearts and not our garments. I want you to write down a verse here, a couple of verses from Acts. Write down Acts chapter 2, 36 through 38. Acts 2, 36 through 38. The first church was in Acts, first home was in Genesis. And so here it is. Look what the word says here in Acts 2. So let all the house of Israel know. Therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let me pause there for a moment. So here Peter is. He's just like, he's not mincing words. He's lovingly being direct with these people saying, look, here's Jesus. He's Lord. He's master. He's savior. And oh, by the way, you crucified him. Like, okay. Now here's the response. So anytime we're confronted with sin, we have a response. 
Will I submit and repent or will I rebel and keep serving self? Those are the two options, two options. So here's what they said in verse 37 of Acts 2. Now, when they heard this, they were what, church? They were cut to what? The heart. Did you catch that? Did you catch this? They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Man, this is a pastor's dream, isn't it? Man, you preach a sermon and they just come up going, what do we need to do? Man, this is, this is awesome for a pastor. Doesn't typically work out that way. In this instance, it did. And Peter said, verse 38, famous verse, and Peter said to them, plural, repent. Uh Uh-oh, there it is. What he's really saying is, don't just rip and tear and rend your garments. Rip and tear and rend your hearts. Repent. Change your behavior that is really a change of a heart being transformed, not behavior modification. You can fool people with behavior modification. No, the heart gets changed. And when Jesus gets a hold of a heart, that heart is never the same again. Repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness, the pardoning, the cleansing of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts here in this great chapter 2, 38 is not advocating baptism that saves. It's not what that means. But it is an external sign of that profession that's real and true. Prayerfully in that professing person's heart. How about 2 Corinthians? Write this one down under that key number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says this, For godly grief produces a repentance, there it is again, that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Did you catch that, church? So here Paul is. He's speaking to the church in Corinth. They were all jacked up. This was a messed up church. They had so many issues, so many challenges. And in the midst of this, he says, look, here's the deal. This godly sorrow and grief is producing something. Don't miss this. When there is godly sorrow that we're cleansing, we're purifying, we're wretched, we're mourned, we're weeping, it is producing something in our lives. There is something going on in that person's heart that sees their life for what it really is, and they say, I can no longer walk this way. Repentance is, I'm heading towards sin. I go, I can't do this any longer in my life. I'm gripped by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do a 180, an about face, and flee, and flee from my sin. Not hang around and play patty cake with it. Not rationalize it, not justify it, not blame everybody else. No, repentance is looking in the mirror, getting honest and open, and saying, there's the problem. Like in my life, as I have said things that have harmed even my family, I had to come to the conclusion to look in the mirror and not rationalize, not blame shift, not justify, but look in the mirror and look at that man looking back at me and saying, there's the problem. And the moment I did that, the moment I did that is when the burden was lifted because that's what repentance is. 
Repentance is not coming forward at the beginning or end of a service, saying a prayer, walking back to your seat, and never being changed. Repentance is all about change, heart transformation. And hearing God's word for godly grief produces, it's working. There's something going on behind the scenes. It's producing a repentance, a heart transformation that leads to salvation. And by the way, did you notice it says without regret? I've sat at the bedside and done a lot of funerals even recently. And I've never talked to one person who knew the person who died, who knew they truly gave their life to Jesus, who looked me in the eyes and said, that was a total waste of time. I've sat with a lot of people, even recently, who they don't even have to say anything, but you see it in their eyes because that person never gave their life to Jesus that there's the most devastating regrets you can imagine. There aren't any do-overs. Once you step into eternity, one nanosecond inside eternity, one nanosecond, you will either be in the presence of the Lord or not. But the worldly sorrow leads to grief that produces death, eternal death. You say, what about the Sermon on the Mount? Well, I'm glad you asked. Write down Matthew 5.4. Matthew 5.4, the greatest sermon ever preached. Three chapters long. And here's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But you understand the real hermeneutical implications of this is not a mourning of a death. It's the mourning over your own sin. That there's just a mourning, a a dire wretchedness and being miserable that I can't coexist with the Holy Spirit inside of me, the holy God, and there we have this sin. Those two don't go hand in hand. They repel one another. Light hates darkness. You say, well, okay, I'm, I'm almost there. So what's the final command? Well, here's the final command from God's Word. It's in verse 10. And James just puts a big red bow on this one when he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Humility, that's that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? Kind of like submitting. Easy to do, fun to do. Of course not. But it's the mark of a believer. There will be an ever-present growing in humility of a true believer. You say, where are you getting that from? Well, we studied it in James already. God opposes the proud, but He does what? He gives charis, unmerited favor, grace to the humble. He literally, if you're here today and you're saying, hey, you know what? I got pride and I could care less. Here's the bad news for you. God literally is going to war against you. Like he's giving you the Heisman stiff arm and he's just holding you at bay. You're not going to get near him. You want to draw near to him? He's not drawing near to you. A prideful Christian is a contradiction in terms. 
A prideful pastor is not a pastor. A prideful deacon is not a deacon. On and on we go. On and on down the food chain we go. Pridefulness has to be exterminated from every believer's life. Where do wars and fights come from, James told us in chapter 4, verse 1. You covet and you crave, you do not have. James 3, 16, that's the verse everyone should remember. If you want to know why your home, business, and ball team are a wreck, just look up James 3, 16. There it is. Where there's selfishness and bitter envy, confusion, and every evil thing will be there. There it is. It's the me monster. It's this gotta have, gotta have, and I don't get. But we're listening to other people, and they're giving their commentary, and and we don't know who we're even hanging around with, and they're dragging us off a cliff. And why? Because we're not submitting to the words. It all goes back to the submission to the word. If we just submit to the word, it's like guardrails. You will know when you're walking in the word and someone else comes alongside you and they profess to be a Christian, but they're whispering this in your ear and trying to drag you off the cliff. You will know. You will. It will just be crystal clear if you're not in the Word, if you think you're going to detox from the world on an hour, two hours on a Sunday morning, it's not going to happen. That's why it's so key that we humble ourselves. We have a modest view of self. We think of ourselves less. We're not prideful. We push others to the front. We don't need to have any applause or fanfare. We want that for Jesus. And think about this, church. Just think about this thought for a moment. Think about the depth of the humility that it will take to pull off verses 8b through 9. Just think about this. To cleanse, and to purify, and to be wretched, and to mourn and weep. Think about the humility it's going to require to pull those things off. Well, what will the Lord do in response? If we do this, He's going to do that. We do X, He does Y. What's it say right there in the Word of God? Humble yourselves before the Lord. Lord, master, boss, owner, possessor, you give your life away willingly, not begrudgingly. You realize where you are, the wretched state you're in, and you say, here, take my life and let it be. And what will he do? Well, he's going to exalt. Did you notice who's doing the exalting? See, this is one of the greatest challenges in the human flesh. As the me monster gravitates and hungers to be filled and to be fed, we want to exalt ourselves. And God says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I'm going to do the exalting after you humble yourself, John. Chuck Colson said it like this. He said, if Christ's lordship does not disrupt our own lordship, then the reality of our conversion must be questioned, end quote. Powerful, isn't it? Let me read that again. If Christ's lordship does not disrupt our own lordship, then the reality of our conversion must be questioned. Remember again, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's why our final key, key number three is this. Write it down, key number three, in the quest or the journey to be like Jesus, we must humble ourselves and pursue the mind of Christ. Key number three, in the quest to be like Jesus, we must humble ourselves and pursue the mind of Christ. 
I think the greatest example of that flawed is in Philippians chapter 2. Write that one down. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Think about this great example that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he explains Jesus in the mind of Christ. Here's what he says. Philippians 2, verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, don't miss that, not filler, but the encouragement comes not from your circumstances improving, your encouragement comes through Jesus. And as it comes through Christ, and you focus on Him, and you laser beam on Him, no matter whether your circumstances improve or not, you still have joy, you still have encouragement. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, capital S, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being what? Of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, oh, here he goes. He's on a soapbox. Do nothing, zero, not a nilch from rivalry or conceit, but in what church? Humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, where church? In Christ Jesus, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Look at verse 7, but instead he made himself nothing, and taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, the death on a cross. Therefore, I love this, therefore God, what, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a hallelujah moment, amen. Those verses just resonate in my soul. They just stir. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Well, here's our takeaway question. What kind of spiritual inheritance am I leaving for my family, friends, and co-workers? You say, well, I'm not a pastor. That may be true. Here's reality. You're leaving a spiritual inheritance. Every person is leaving a spiritual inheritance. You are either pointing people towards Jesus or away from Him. Yeah, well, I'm pointing them towards the fence. Well, remember, Satan owns the fence. You're pointing them then away from Jesus. All of us are leaving a spiritual inheritance for our family, for our friends, for our coworkers. Who are you pointing them towards? I guess another way to ask this would be who or what rules your heart? The thought just occurred to me, in the midst of the struggle, whatever we're holding on to will ultimately hold on to us. If I'm holding on to this temporal life and my bank account and trying to get the sailboat and the condo by the beach, 
what's going to happen in the moment of crisis? But if I'm holding on to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and he's despised the shame, and, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. What happens when the crisis hits? Oh, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Action step. Here it is. I will make it my aim to be well-pleasing to Christ in all that I do. That's it. I will make it my aim to be well-pleasing to Christ in all that I do. Now, here's the challenge. I can't do this for you. I struggle in my own life to do this. If I want this more than you do, you'll never want it. But you have an opportunity right now today to change the course of, of your life, your family, your business, your ball team, your church, or are you going to be the one that leads in this? Let's say, I'm going to aim to please Jesus in everything I do. Even if none go with me, I'm still following Jesus. I pray that will be you. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says it like this, as Paul wrote. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And all that we do, when you go to work tomorrow, please Jesus. When you do go on vacation, please, Jesus. When you go golfing or fishing or whatever you do, go please, Jesus. Because he paid it all, as the song says. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. As that contemporary version of that song says, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Is there any greater truth? Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and who raised this life up from the dead. Is that you today? Can you say that today with certainty? Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Is that you today? I pray that it is. Father, we come before you and as we think about your goodness and your grace and your mercy, your word tells us, not as suggestions, but it gives us resounding clarity how seriously you take sin. Because the word says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Oh God, we plead with you. We confess our sin even right now as you're bringing those thoughts to mind. Those areas that we've neglected, that we've rationalized, that we've justified. God, forgive us. Cleanse us. Purify us. Help us to be wretched. To mourn, to weep. Oh God, I pray. Oh God, speak to our hearts during this time as we reflect, as we repent, as we pray, as we do business with you. Don't allow us to leave here today the same that we walked in, 
But I pray today for some of us might be a new day. Here's the beauty of the gospel. As one person once said, failing in itself is not the issue. It's what we do next that matters. God, I pray if we've never given our life to you truly, that today will be that day we give all. God, I pray if we need to repent from sin, that we'd do that right now. God, I pray that we'd be all in for you. God, you were all in for us on the cross through your son. There's nothing that we should not give back to you. And so God, would you do a work as you minister to our hearts during this time? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.